I'm Andrea. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City and just want to welcome you again uh, to our service this morning. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that uh, you will experience God today in some way. Um, Happy New Year. If I haven't seen you, it's only the second week of the New Year. I don't know. Time is weird. Happy New Year. I, I got to tell you, <clears throat> I'm feeling like I'm like dragging myself into this new year, like I'm a New Year straggler of 2023. Um, so my end of 2022, beginning of 2023 was um, not ideal, okay? So my family and I were really, really looking forward to the holiday break, like in mid-December. So in a rare instance of events, none of the four of us were like, flatline exhausted the way that a lot of times we like fall into the holiday break we were all feeling like pretty good feeling good we made all these plans with our extended families um a bunch of you guys we were going to hang out we had friends that were coming into town we were going to cook a bunch of food and we were just going to end the year with joy joy i tell you joy (laughs) then so i caught a cold the week before the break okay It was just a cold. I passed it along to one of my kids, and then that kid passed it inevitably to the other kid, and then that kid passed it to Drew. So that was great. We were like, well, we just have a Christmas cold. But then, there's so many thens in this story. (laughs) Then, it was Christmas Eve morning. We discovered that it actually was not a cold. It was Lococo. It was COVID, our first ever bout with COVID. We made it almost three years, but we got it on Christmas Eve. It was great. So we, that day, frantically began canceling all of our plans. Uh, We made, we had to call both of our families. Like, both of our families are local, so we were like, we're not going to see you for a little bit. Uh, We canceled plans with friends that were coming into town. Um, Again, with you guys, we were going to hang out. And we were like, you know what? We're going to try to make the best of this. It's okay. It's, it's fine. And then we found out that I actually had not given everybody COVID, and my cold before actually was just a cold. And the reason we found this out was because after everybody else was getting better, I tested positive for COVID the day after Christmas, and then I got really sick, like, for the next week. So then by the time that I recovered-ish, I'm still sort of, I don't have COVID anymore. I'm sorry. It's It's been a long time. I've tested negative. But by the time that I was like out of off the couch, because I just spent five straight days like flat, you know what I'm saying? By the time I recovered, everything was like back in full swing. It was time to go back to school. It was time to go back to work. And I still felt like I was stuck in the middle of December, just like waiting for the break, looking forward to my rest and my, and my recreation, my recreation, right? And some reflection. And I have to tell you, I still feel like this, and it's the middle of January. Like, I was really, really disappointed with the way that the year ended and how this one began. And I feel like I'm starting the year already tired, you know? But I'm also still carrying, like, everything from 2022 into 2023, and... And it's the halfway point of this month, right? Ugh. But I've got, I've got this hunch <clears throat> that maybe I'm not the only person that's feeling that way into this new year. 
even if your holiday break was like full of fun and festivities, I just, I know that many of you are carrying the hard things of 2022 into 2023. Like a new year doesn't mean that just things just end and everything's fine. We bring it with us. And I, and I also know that many of those hard things are much, much heavier than like just being laid up on the couch for a week, okay? And I just, I want you to know that that's where I am today. I wanted you to know that. And I wanted you to know that this week, I just, as I've prepared to, to preach today, I've just really been hoping for a reminder from God of just, um, of God's provision and God's promises for me and for you also. And I hope that this can be a place where we don't hide the things that we're carrying, um, we don't hide what we're bringing with us into the new year. And I hope this can be a place where we can hold out hope together for the provision and for the promises of God. So that's, that's where I am. That's what I'm holding um, today. Um, let, me, let me pray for us as we get started this morning. God, today we bring all of who we are and um, just all the things we're carrying with us in our minds, in our bodies, We thank you, God, that we can sing songs um, where we can, we can proclaim that you have not, um, you've not left us. Um, we believe that you are with us. We ask God today, I ask for your provision. I ask that you remi- would remind us of your promises, um, that you would remind us of your power and your ability to be God, um, and that, God, that we would feel your desire um, for us to flourish and thrive. So we ask that your spirit would move in that way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are back in the Gospel of Mark for the third and final installment of this book. Very exciting. It's going to take us all the way through Easter. Um, And the centering theme of this last section Um, of Mark, we've titled How to Really Live, How to Really Live. So that's kind of what we'll be coming back to, um, sort of what our lens is going to be as we look at the scriptures together these next few weeks. Related to that, I would like to make another plug for the reading guide. So great. A little bit of tacky, I won't lie to you. So, you know, reflect as you'd like. Um, You can find it online at the link on the screen. It's it's really a simple thing. You read the scripture, and there's like a verse and a thoughtful reflection question for five days, five different days. You can do them all at one time. Um, you can skip some. If they're extra attacky, don't skip them. Um, but the reading guide, we've, the pastors and the staff have put together, um, you can find it online at the link on the screen. There might be a few printed copies still here somewhere um, on the connection table, too. So I'll also take this opportunity to make one more plug for small groups, which are starting this week. Um, Yes, I have been reminded this week that cultivating community is a spiritual discipline. Uh, It's like alongside Sabbath and prayer and those things, um, community. Community is one of the things that helps shape us into who we're meant to be. Um, Community gives us momentum and support as we try to do this thing of following Jesus. Um, so small groups are not the only way to cultivate community, certainly, but they definitely are one way to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into a small group, uh, you can find the directory on our website. You can reach out 
to any leader, um, you can also come ask me and I can point you that direction as well. All right, so Mark, we're back. I have really, really enjoyed taking a deeper dive with you all into this gospel over these past few months. Um, it's been really, I've, I've learned a lot. Um, I've learned a whole lot and just been challenged um, by the spirit. Um, I love, I've really appreciated the author of Mark. I think that um, he's so particular in the way that he writes this gospel account. Um, he's like urgent and he's intentional. And like the other writers of the other gospels, he does have an agenda and he has a message that he's trying to get through to those of us who are hearing the words that he's written. So one of the things that's come up again and again in our study of Mark is the writer's use of these story sandwiches, right? Where he'll begin with one story or narrative and then he'll interrupt it with another one and then he'll come back and finish the first one, right? It's like the story is the bread and then one story is the bread and then the other story is like the sandwich filling. And he does this in order to get the listener to hear the stories in the context of one another. They might seem unrelated, but when you read it all together, typically that center story defines the driving theme of the sandwich. It's what the author is trying to get us to pay attention to. So these are called Mark and Sandwiches. I love them. If you didn't know that already, I've preached so many of them. I've gotten to preach so many of them in this series. And listen, I couldn't be happier to tell you that this week, our passage contains not just one, but two Mark and Sandwiches. Two sandwiches. What a blessing. Who even scheduled me to do this? I just... It couldn't be happier. Two sandwiches. So we get to look at two sandwiches today. So there are two in this section of the scripture. Like, there's one big sandwich in our scripture today, and then there's, like, another little sandwich in the middle of the bigger sandwich. Come on. So fun. <laughs> so we're, uh, this morning, as we get started, we're going to start with a look at the smaller sandwich, the one on the inside. Um, so this is in chapter 11 of Mark, which we heard read this morning. So in this, in this smaller sandwich... The outer story, the bread, is the one about a fig tree, right? So Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem. It's about two miles. And along the way, Jesus is hungry, and he sees a fig tree in the distance, like as they're walking. And as he gets closer to it, he approaches the fig tree to eat some figs. But he doesn't find any figs on the tree. He only finds leaves. And then the text reads that he says to the fig tree, loud enough for his disciples to hear him, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, maybe it's just me, <clears throat> but I really, really enjoy this part of the story where, like, Jesus is hangry and gets mad at this fig tree. <laughs> okay? It's just so human of him, right? Fully human, fully divine. And we've all been there, right? We've been there. We're traveling somewhere. There's, like, no food available. You've run out of snacks in the car, and you're really tired. And then something, like, gets your hope up like a like on the highway, like a far in the distance, lit up, super tall McDonald's sign. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Off the highway. But then when you get there, it's closed or like the ice cream machine is broken and all you wanted was a vanilla cone. Like, and then you just get really mad and you look up to like the golden arches and you're like, curse you, Ronald. Like, ah, <laughs> because your hopes of being fed have been dashed. Just me? Just me? <laughs> Not just me, I know that. But that's sort of like what I imagine happening here a little bit with Jesus, with this fig tree, right? Jesus is expecting to see figs, to see the fruit that this tree has produced, but he's met with nothing but leaves. It's like, come on, 
Now, we could see Mark as maybe including this story as, like, I don't know, a reminder of Jesus' full humanity. I definitely get that from there. Like, I love that we see this, this human part of Jesus. He's God. He's human. He's traveling. He's hungry in human bodies. We need rest. We need sustenance. But I, I don't think, because it's a part of the sandwich, I don't think that that's the only, the only reason that Mark has included this story here. It's here that we remember that this anecdote is part of this sandwich, and then we remember that if this is the bread, if the fig tree story is the bread, then we got to look to the middle of the sandwich for the meat. Okay? So the middle of the sandwich in this text begins in verse 15. And it reads, They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, Jesus, and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is the middle sandwich. So Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the observance of Passover. It's an annual Jewish holiday, remembering when God delivered their ancestors from the hand of Egypt. So we talked last week about Jesus' entry into the city. It's a passage that is traditionally preached on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. So at Passover, people from all over the Roman world made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate. They wanted to celebrate this, um, this holiday together during this time of the year. So that's what Jesus and Jesus' disciples are doing also. So as soon as Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, he, like so many other religious pilgrims would have done, he goes to the temple. And the temple was obviously a significant place for Israel. It was designated as the location of the presence of God, like where God dwelled in the temple. And the temple would be the place where one would go to fellowship with the Lord, with God. And when Jesus gets to the temple, he sees that it is overrun with money changers and those selling doves. That's what the text says. And then we, we see that Jesus reacts to this scene very strongly. He overturns their tables and their seats, and then he runs them all out of the temple. So there are a few cultural issues here to note, to just help us understand what Jesus is addressing and I think what Mark is communicating. Okay, so first, when pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem for, for Passover, they were required when they arrived to make a sacrifice at the temple, and it had to be an animal sacrifice. Okay, so many people... They were traveling from all over, and many people were traveling a very long way, like multiple days, to get to Jerusalem. So bringing an animal along, like on this journey, to feed and take care of um, so that they could offer it when they got there would not be very practical. Um, So there would be those in the temple who sold animals so that they could be sacrificed, so you don't have to like bring one with you from wherever you are. And because people came from everywhere and there was not a unified currency in that time, people would come with the currency of their hometown, which would be different. So they would need to exchange the money in the temple too in order to buy a sacrifice. They'd need to use Jerusalem currency. So that's what's happening in the temple. Now, some scholars um, point to this scene as 
an opportunity for economic exploitation here for the money changers and like the animal vendors in the temple, particularly exploitation of the poor because they could charge high fees for a currency exchange, they could charge high fees for an animal to sacrifice because they knew that people would buy it because it was required. So that's sort of the scene here and what, what's happening here. So second, the second thing to note is this is happening in the temple, right? We were told that it's happening in the temple. Now the temple wasn't just one big room. It was made up of this like hierarchy of areas. This is a, this is a very simplistic diagram, um, but it works. So the center of the temple was the holiest place. It's the court of the priest. That's what that is. That's where like um, the Ark of the Covenant was, which was um, where God promised for God's presence to be. So then the hierarchy of perceived holiness in the temple radiated out from there, from the center. So you see the court of the men of Israel, the court of Israel, which is also the women's court. And then at the very outside, you see the court of the Gentiles, and that would be people who are not Jewish. So we know that Jesus was in the temple, and some Bible translations specify that Jesus, actually, when he enters, he enters the outer temple courts. But this is where this goes down, is in the court of the Gentiles. So it was in this part of the temple, the only place where those viewed as outside of the faith or other, it was in this place that this kind of exploitation was occurring. So the turning of this outer court into basically an exploitative marketplace would have also structurally prohibited Gentiles from worshiping in the temple, even in the only temple area they would have been allowed to be in. It would have been loud and wild, and it would have been turned into a marketplace instead of a place of worship. This is what Jesus is referring to in verse 17 when he's quoting Isaiah and says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? So the place that God intended to be a house of prayer for all the peoples had become this place of economic exploitation, profiting off the poor and excluding the foreigner. This is the meat of the fig tree sandwich. A tree that was meant to bear figs, where Jesus was looking for, hoping for fruit, was bare. Just like the temple, the place that was meant to bear God's presence, the place that was meant to produce the first fruits of God's sustaining life and God's power. The temple, the place where Jesus was looking for, hoping for fruit, also comes up bare. In the kingdom of God, where everything is sustained by the life of God, fruit is produced. Right? This is what God desires for us, to bear fruit. And it's what God promises us, that fruit will be produced to nourish and sustain. And this is what it means to really live, right? How to really live. To be in the kingdom of God where we are nourished by God and to produce fruit that in turn nourishes and sustains others too. Now hear me, I don't want you to hear that this is about people needing to like prove themselves worthy of some kind of divine favor. This is not what this is. That's not what fruit is either. No, 
This is a reminder, this sandwich is a reminder to us that God, who is the creator, grieves when things that are supposed to bear fruit do not. Whether that's individual people, whether that's groups of people, or whether that's systems that people create. So this becomes even clearer when we look at the other piece of bread in this fig tree sandwich. So the beginning is when Jesus is like, I want a fig and you didn't produce any figs. May you never produce figs ever again. That's the first piece of the bread. The second piece of the bread of this smaller sandwich starts in verse 20 where Mark comes back to the fig tree and we get to find out its fate. Okay, so this is verse 20. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So the tree that did not produce fruit was gone. It withered away. Now, I've heard this language used, this story used as a way to um, like proclaim ultimate judgment on people who don't live up to particular standards. Okay, and maybe in a way that that's, that's true. But I, I might pose that perhaps though this story is also about life and God's desire for us to thrive. In another gospel account, the gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a parable about a fig tree and its fruit. So this is Luke 13, verse 6. This is Jesus telling this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the man working in the vineyard, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This parable in Luke, in light of this story too that we're studying in our scripture today, makes it very clear fig trees are meant to bear fruit. And not just fruit, just for the sake of producing fruit, they're meant to bear fruit to sustain and nourish, right? They're used here in this passage and in our Mark passage and in other places in the Bible as a metaphor about God's provision and the flourishing of humanity. I think sometimes we think about fruit bearing as like a, a pursuit of personal virtue. But here our understanding of bearing fruit is producing sustenance and vitality. It's the sustenance and the vitality that's produced in our lives and not just for our own sake, certainly for us, but also for the sake of others. So Jesus curses the fig tree because he was hungry and it did not have fruit to sustain him. And then Jesus cleanses the temple, he overturns the tables and he chases the money changers all out because what he found was a tree that was just sucking the nutrients dry for its own sake and providing no nourishment to anyone or anything else. This, and then the fig tree, the actual fig tree, is found withered away to its roots after its encounter with Jesus. Friends, Jesus wants to cut off the things that are not producing fruit. Now, maybe this sounds like kind of ominous or even vindictive to us, that trees that don't produce fruit get cut off from their source of nourishment. But I think this is actually what our hope is based upon. Hear me. We hope and we pray and we act 
and we move towards the day when all things that are not of God will ultimately wither away and be no more. This is why we value the work of justice, why we join God in the righting of wrongs. We, we want to see the overbearing weeds cleared out for kingdom fruit to have room to grow. I was reading some, some commentaries this week as I was preparing, and uh, I was reading one by a New Testament professor named Matt Skinner, and I, I couldn't even, I'm just going to read it to you. He puts it this way. I don't have it on a slide, so just listen. Imagine when religion stops bearing fruit. Imagine a faith tradition that cannot or will not do anything to contribute mercy and beauty to the world. Imagine a congregation so out of touch with the needs and shifting demographics of its community that its worship functions as isolationist cultural self-adoration. Imagine church leaders who refuse to take serious action to remedy entrenched misogyny and homophobia in their organizational structures. Imagine churches that stay silent when school boards censure books and politicians pass laws that endanger the lives and well-being of trans youth. Imagine a theological system that exists mostly to perpetuate itself and the privileges of its adherents, just sucking nutrients from the soil without doing anything to curb people's hunger. Count me among those eager to see God cut all those things down so something else can grow in their place. I'll help sharpen the ax. Friends, it's not hard to imagine. We don't have to imagine because we can see some of these things in his list, plain as day. And we could add many, many more. And we join in calling Jesus to cut those trees down, to destroy their roots so they will stop growing, to cut off whatever is feeding them, to wither them from the roots up. Pull them up, clear them out so that kingdom fruit can grow. We call to Jesus to do that because Jesus is the one who can do it. Jesus' authority to be the one who cleanses the temple in this way is the theme of the bigger second sandwich in our passage today. So the whole fig tree sandwich that we've just talked about is in the middle of this bigger sandwich of chapter 11. All right? Like a meta sandwich, if you will. So of this bigger sandwich, one piece of bread is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This is our passage from last week where the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, that's one piece of the bread. The other piece is the encounter that Jesus has after he cleanses the temple with the religious leaders who ask him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? So in this bigger sandwich, Mark is pointing us towards the authority of Jesus to name and call out the places that are void of fruit, where the weeds are just pulling the nutrients out of the soil, but they're only doing it for their own gain. We are pointed in this passage with this sandwich towards Jesus as the one with authority, 
were pointed towards Jesus as the one who saves, Jesus as the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus as the one who disrupts the status quo, Jesus as the one who displays anger at justice, at injustice and hypocrisy, Jesus as the one who puts his own reputation, uses his own body to clear out the temple so that people can be healed. Jesus as the one who ultimately will put his whole life on the line in, orders, in order that others would flourish. This is the authority that Jesus has. Jesus is the one with authority to clean out our hearts, to clean out our church our systems and our structures like he cleaned out the temple to make room for the growth of fruit. And friends, Jesus is the one with the authority to grow the fruit. The Gospel of Matthew also records this, um, this same narrative about Jesus clearing out the temple. Um, but in Matthew, the author records that after Jesus cleared out the money changers and the animals, after he clears out the trees that are bearing no fruit, he offers nourishment and healing. This is Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. So after he cleanses the temple, there is now room for people to come and receive healing. The people in the temple, the children even, recognize what the religious leaders do not. That Jesus has the authority to make room for fruit to grow and to see it come to fruition. And this is why we can join in with the people of the scriptures and calling out to Jesus, like Matthew talked about last week, Hosanna. Hosanna, which means the one who saves. The one who saves. We call out to Jesus, the one who saves, because Jesus has the authority and Jesus has the ability to do it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who desires our flourishing and has the will and the ability to see it come to fruition. I think there are several words for us to consider this morning, friends, I think there are several things, uh, there are several words of challenge, I feel like, as we consider how the gospel of Mark is exhorting us to understand what it means to really live. So the question I'd like to leave you with this morning, how is God calling you to flourish and to promote the flourishing of others? How is God calling you to flourish and to promote the flourishing of others? Now, there are a couple ways to reflect on this. Maybe God is inviting you to take some time to consider what tables need to be overturned in your life. What needs to be cleared out so that things can grow? I think this is certainly, this is an individual and certainly a communal 
consideration for us. What needs to be overturned in our lives, in the life of our church, because it's not bearing fruit? What needs to be cleared out so that fruit can grow in our lives, in our church? Maybe that's the invitation to you this morning. Or maybe God is inviting you to remember this morning that you are not the one who produces the fruit. There are times when you cannot produce, you can't even think about producing fruit, that you don't have the energy or the will at all to plant anything, to till anything, to water anything, or you don't have any seeds. God, what can I even plant? Where you feel barren, where you feel dry, where you feel empty-handed. Maybe for you this morning, God wants you to remember and hear that God's desire for you is to be healthy enough for fruit to grow and that God has every intention of nourishing you and sustaining you in order to make that happen. Maybe you need to hear God saying to you, let me grow the fruit and let me nourish you with the fruit that I grow. Friends, God desires to sustain you God desires to sustain you with fruit that you don't have to grow yourself. Perhaps the invitation for you this morning is to take a page from Matthew 21 and come to Jesus and let him heal you and restore you. To recognize where God is providing for you so that you can flourish. Jesus is about our flourishing and the flourishing and the thriving of all. Jesus is for you. And Jesus desires for us to live doing the thing that we're meant to do, which is to be nourished by God's own life and to produce fruit that in turn nourishes and sustains as we work and partner with God towards the restoration of everyone and everything. I think that there is an invitation to all of us today to flourish and thrive. I invite you into that invitation this morning. May we step into the generative life that God is inviting us into. Would you pray with me?